episode 137 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Maya. I am 21. I am Syrian. I live in the UK. I study aviation engineering and I am a pilot. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today, I'm really excited to share the story of Maya from the UK. She is a Syrian refugee. She moved from Syria to the UK where she was able to kind of reach all the crazy dreams she's ever had. It's actually a great story and one that I'm super honored to tell. I want to give a special shout out to Rico from Adventures of Rico on Instagram for setting this up. He said in my DM, said, hey, you need to reach out. She's got a great story and that's where we are now. So here is her story. We dig deep. We talk about kind of the stereotypes of moving from Syria to the UK and all the adversity that she had to overcome as being viewed as a refugee and what you can do to help a refugee in your area and how to make it as easy on them as possible and help them achieve their dreams and their goals. So Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave a review on iTunes. You can go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. And please check out our YouTube channel. I just released a video last week. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it. It's youtube.com slash pilot the pilot. And also if you want some swag, go to shoppilotthepilot.com or support us on Patreon. $1 a month helps a lot and it's greatly appreciated. Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. The story is great and one of the, my favorites that I've had on the podcast. So without any further ado, here's Maya. Maya, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hello. Hi. I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, my buddy Rico from Adventures of Rico. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know who that is or not, but yes, he's se- yeah. oh, perfect. Well, he sent me your page and was like, you got to get her on. I was like, done. And what well, that was probably a week ago and we're making it happen. Wow. This is exciting. I'm really excited to share my story and, you know, get chatting about aviation. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really excited as well. And let's get started with the story. I guess the first question I ask everyone is why aviation? Uh, have you always wanted to be a pilot? Is this a kind of a, a new thing for you or is this something you've always wanted to do ever since you were young? Um, no, actually, I've like I've never really it never really crossed my mind to be a pilot or to get involved into the aviation sector. I wanted to do just political science, just kind of not saying it's lame, but compared to flying, this kind of lame staying on the ground thing. Um my mother always wanted my brother to be a pilot, but that's just because he's ginger and tall and apparently Navy suits would look nice on him. So um, she kind of did have this image for him, but yeah, he does not want to be a pilot anymore. I kind of stole his uh, thunder. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we're cool. Um, but yeah, I like, I think when I was, um, I was 17, I was watching planes from Heathrow landing and taking off. We were like staying in a hotel right next to the runway. And I was just like, oh, wow. Like, this looks so cool. Like I could watch planes and like how they're lining up to take off and like how they're landing, landing gears coming down the, you know, the, all the beacon and all the other lights. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And like, I remember after an hour, I told my mom, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do aviation engineering. And yeah, maybe one day I'll be a pilot. And I remember she laughed at me and she's just like, no, you won't. And it's not like she said it in a way that she does not believe in me, but it's more of she thought it was an impulsive decision that I was just like, I'm making. And she's like, no, you're already like, we already know what course you're going to do. We already know like what university you're going to to this is just like a lot of change and very short notice and stuff I was like yeah maybe you're right and like I remember a week later I just could not get it out of my head and I was just like you know what no I'm gonna change and yeah I I changed and I applied to do aviation engineering as a course and I took like my uh what they ground school with it as well I did all the nine exams and I was like, this is really exciting. I can't wait until I actually like have control of a plane. And yeah, that's how it started. Was she more supportive when after a week it's like, all right, it's still there. Was she kind of like, I mean, I'd really rather you not, but you can if you want to. I mean, I like, I learned that she was thinking that it was just like, I learned, I think like 
few months ago that she still thinks that it's just a phase in my life that I'm going through. But now I have a license. She's just like, yeah, well done. That's so exciting. Can't wait to like you carry on with it and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, all my, all my family are very supportive of like the decision that I made and like where I am right now. And yeah, they're all proud. So I'm guessing you come from a family. Are you the first aviator in your family? I am. Yes. What is it? So a lot of people in the States that we kind of run into that too, where you're the first one. And a lot of times when you're the first one in a family, you don't have the same resources that someone does that comes from an aviation family. In the States, we kind mm-hmm. of uh, have an understanding or we talked about it before about what you would do and how you can go to local flight schools, you can go fly. What's the process like where you live and how did you even, like, what were the next steps? You're like, I want to be a pilot. What was next? Did you call flight schools? Did you go to Google? Did you ask friends? Did you reach out to people on Instagram? What did you do next? Um, so I actually reached my uni because it was like part of my uni course to do the pilot studies. And I chose that path because I thought starting with uni would like, I guess I thought they'd have more experience. They'd know better about flying schools and stuff. I never really not knew what to expect so i was just like kind of open for anything that was happening um yeah like yes it was a challenge that no one in my family knew what was happening next or what are my plans like you know they they got the information from me and as an 18 year old i was not really a reliable source so that i don't think they were very comfortable with that um but um yeah, I think like with uni, they, they had like a, a contract with a flying school nearby. And um, I started with the flying school and that's where I learned like all, like that's all where I got all my my flying um, knowledge from. I would, I'd not say that I'm very knowledgeable about like flying and stuff, but like, like about the routes on how to become a commercial pilot in the future. But like, I do have like a fair bit of knowledge now, I feel like that I know like the kind of route that like I'm drawing for myself. Like I did want to just go to a flying school and get my commercial license, but in the UK it's really, really expensive. And um, yeah, I don't have that like much of money right now. So I'm just taking the modular, I think called. That was going to be my next question. Cause it's, is it modular and integrated, right? Yeah. 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 So like I'm getting my PP- So I got my PPL license and then building hours and then, doing my ATPL like tests and stuff. So, so would modular be more of on your own and integrated is more where you kind of have, uh, you go to more of like a, a flight school or sponsored by an airline or, or some case like that. And you do it all and modular is more where you plan it on your own. Yes. Yes. Basically. So but like I do it like my, my, ter- like on my terms and in my free time while like, if you go to a flying school, then it's, I think it's like about 18 months and, you should end up with a license, but like, like it took me, I don't know how long it took me to get like my PPL. I did it like over a long time, like over like long course of time. But then like, I'm thinking like, I want to come to the U S to build my hours because like, it's much cheaper than flying in the UK. Um, but yeah, then once my hours (laughs) are built, yeah, (laughs) Went it is too bad for uh, COVID and it ruining everyone's plans on becoming a pilot or just making it in this industry right now. <laughs> yeah, I know my my flight my my skills test got set back like by six months because of COVID. Oh no, that's always terrible because when you have like a, a skills test or a check ride or whatever you might want to call it, you kind of like build up and and pent up all this kind of like you study so hard for it to have it on this one day and then it gets postponed and you have to like get back all the energy to study again and it gets postponed again or you don't know what's going to yeah, happen. Exactly. And it's really draining yeah. like mentally, physically. And I'm sure it kind of leads to the question like, all right, is this even going to happen? Like, come on. Yeah, I know. I remember like when we got back from like after, when the lockdown thing happened in the UK, which was like around March, I was just like, you must be kidding me. My instructor promised me that I would do my skills test before April. You know, it was kind of the thing that we were planning. And then April, March, we were in lockdown. April passed by and I was like, oh, damn it. I think I'm not going to do this anytime soon. And yeah, I did not end up getting my license until August. But like, yeah, I did get to a point where I was doubting myself. I was like, am I actually going to go back to it? Like, I'm going to need so many lessons to remember, actually. Like, do I even remember what the circuit is like? Or how do I land or how to take off? But, 
it all comes back to you. So, so were you re- were you ready to take the check ride in April, or was it kind of like that was the tentative date, and then coronavirus, COVID came, and then you had to push it back? Um. So basically, the one thing that I had left before lockdown started was my qualifying cross country, but everything else was finished and done. Um. So yeah, I was kind of aiming for like a golden number on my like logbook to get my license. So like, you know, like in the UK, you need 45 hours of like flying to be qualified to get a test. And I was aiming for kind of that number. But then obviously that went up by like 10 hours extra (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) I had to recap everything once like lockdown eased down and we were able to fly again. How hard was that? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but how hard was that mentally for you to kind of do that? Like accepting it, was that the hardest part? Like, this is just my story. This is just the cards that I haven't dealt with. I got to deal with this. Or is it kind of just like, this is just so frustrating and so stupid. I just want to go fly. Please let me fly. I mean, it was, I, I did feel like at some point I was just like, I really just miss flying. Like you never really think of it, but like I would just sit down and I'd be like, I haven't been up in the sky in so long. The feeling of actually like taking control, taking off, like there is some kind of adrenaline that comes to you every time. Like even if it's like a routine thing, but I, I, I guess for me, I still feel some kind of excitement when I take off and some kind of proudness that I get and like level of happiness when I land the plane without bouncing or without having a flat you know landing or actually like you know there's nothing better than when you get the landing right and then you get to walk away and you're like ah that was good good day's work exactly you know and you speak to the atc and you tell them that like you know flight finished or completed and stuff and you'd be like see that was me with that landing just so we know (laughs) what did your friends Um, think when you when you told them you wanted to be a pilot were they like oh yeah this is awesome you're gonna do great we're like wait you want to be a pilot what are you talking about yeah, I did have like, you wanted to be a pilot, what are you talking about? Or what's wrong with you? Or how did this happen? Or are you sure you want this? Are you thinking properly? Are you thinking straight kind of thing? It was so out of the blue, like, you know, to go from wanting to do political science to, uh, you know, flying planes. It's just, it's just like, a there was like a different ends of the scale kind of thing. Um but I, I think I kind of embraced it and like some of them did not think I'd be able to do it and stuff. But um, I'd like to think that when I got my license, I proved so many people wrong and I proved to myself that I could actually do it. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. huge accomplishment. I mean, not everyone can do this. It's just a fact. I mean, you got to really dedicate it and it's not even the skill set. It's a mental thing. Like you got to, you're proving to yourself that you could do this mentally. Like it's just a lot of challenges that come in the way and everyone's challenges are different. Like some people struggle with flying. Some people struggle with studying. Some people just have really bad timing. Like when you said you had, you're getting ready to take your check card or your, your, your skills check in April and then you got a lockdown. It's like, that's bad timing. That's part of the industry. That's part of aviation as a whole. And it's just adversity that you have to take in and you have to either accept it's kind of flight or a fright. You can either run or you can go for it. So uh, it's definitely something to be proud of yourself for. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It is some kind of, uh, there is some kind of level of like, I still haven't fully comprehended yet. I think um, like, you know, taking my skills test, like, and going through the stress, you know, I had to tell myself, don't stress pilots, don't stress. They know how to manage the situation, manage their stress and nerves because I know what I'm doing. I'm like, you know, this is not my first time going up by myself. Like, you know, because we, you, I've done my solos at that point when I was doing my skills test. Um, but we have like VRPs for the circuit that we fly in the aerodrome. And I was so nervous. I lost one of them. And like, you know, I've flown in that circuit for like 50 something hours. And yet somehow on my skills test, I did not know where I was going. Um, so yeah, I just like, you know, these kind of moments that you remember that, you know, the small stuff that I always carry with me and I'm like, that happened, but I pass anyways. That's good. Did (laughs) you, did did the examiner realize that you missed it or no? You're just like, all right, good. So like, I was speaking to him. I was just like, uh, so the VRP is like, um, is it a VRP virtual reference point? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one here. Um, so it's like a big golden church it's called St Giles and um we were like so we we're going in the track and I was like so we should see St Giles here 
and I listed him. I was like, so we have the lakes, we have the satellites, but I cannot seem to find St. Giles. And he's like, okay. And I was like, maybe it's just way to the far left. And I went completely off track, but because I was telling him what was happening and how I was going to change it or fix it, I guess he just rolled with it. So Yeah, that, that's a good point. If you can like talk through a situation and let them know what you're thinking, the worst thing you can do is just kind of be quiet. Obviously, there's a point where you don't want to say too much because you talk yourself in a hole. But there is a good point that if you do recognize you made a mistake, you talk through it. You let them know what you're thinking. Exactly. Let them yeah. know that you can process this information and be like, all right, I can still be safe. I messed up or I didn't find it, but now I know where it is and we're going to be fine. And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> all right, thanks. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> yeah, to know. exactly. I was just going to say, it's important. To know it's also a chance to learn a lot of check rides or skills checks. It's uh, They can still have the opportunity to teach you and pass you. So just because they're teaching you something or you have a teachable moment doesn't always mean you're going to fail. So it's always one thing to remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I feel like it's very important as a pilot to understand that we're going to learn something new every day, every time we fly, with every fly, with every hour. It's just like to have this mentality that to accept that like it's not going to be perfect. I mean, just have a perfect landing. That's about it. But anything else is like you learn and I guess because I like I'm looking to become a commercial pilot in the future I understand like I would not be flying by myself I need to tell someone next to me all my actions and intentions and all this stuff so yeah absolutely yeah you you got a down pat you got a right mentality for this career (laughs) just as long as you're okay with ups and downs for 10 every 10 years (laughs) you'll be good cannot wait yeah what was uh what was your initial kind of flight training like so like when you first got to the school when you were uh, just starting your lessons was there a lot of fear or there's a lot of anxiety or was it just excitement um so i remember the first few lessons um i i mean the first hour like specifically i remember i was looking forward to it so much but when i landed i got so depressed i was like so that's it like like that just went so quickly I guess like my brain was still getting through like you know the difference pressure levels and and I was just like this feels so not special and I I honestly don't know why it was such a bad flight for me and the next like few flights after it but um like it took me about 10 hours I mean like I don't want to discourage people from trying flying and anything or anything but I remember it took me about like good 10 hours for me to be like oh so there are lights here and oh how long have these like lights around the runway been there or like <laughs> they just put oh, those up number- yesterday <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah or like you know the number of the runway two three oh that's actually the the direction of the runway like on the campus wow it's just it took me a lot of time for me to realize all these stuff and when i actually started realizing them and like comprehending what's happening and how everything just links I was like oh wow this is actually cool I remember uh, um, in our for my ground exam for one of my ground exams they had like in the book you know how they put examples and like demonstrate pictures and stuff and they had runway two three and the the place where I was flying at the runway was two three and I remember I went to my friend I was like you won't believe this and the, she was like what my and I said to her, my flying school wrote this book it's runway two three they're using the same exact runway like wow this is like where I fly it's in a book and like it did just it just never occurred to me that I just you know the direction of the runway that is just could have been a coincidence that's really funny it, it, you bring up yeah. a good point though because everything clicks for everyone at different times like when you first get in the plane, those first 10 hours, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to wrap your mind around and it's okay to feel lost. It's okay to feel like you don't know what's going on and it's okay to kind of slow things down and, and learn uh, just kind of little by little. So like figure one thing out and then add another, then add something else to it and keep adding every single flight. And then eventually the light bulb goes off and you're like, wait, all right, two, three, that, oh, cool. Okay. I get that now. And it's like, oh, so this is why the runaway lights do this, or this is where I'm supposed to land, or this is my, my visual reference point or, or whatever it may be. Everyone learns at different paces. Like you said, don't be discouraged if it takes you 20 hours or don't be, if you take two hours, doesn't mean you're the best pilot. It just means that you can pick up on things maybe a little bit quicker than others, but it's, it's all, it's, it's all, everyone has that kind of moment at a different time. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I, I feel like it just says like how 
flying is more inclusive than people think it is. Like you don't get judged on how many hours it took you to learn how to fly or anything. It's just as long as you know what you're doing, you love what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you're good in geography or in maths or in science. If you're just good at your grammar school stuff, then then you're good. You know, if you just have basic maths, I, I would say maybe just to add up your numbers and just know when you're going to arrive at your destination to pass your navigation skills test. But other than that, you should be fine. When you are training, uh, we have ForeFlight. I don't. Do you guys use ForeFlight over there? Do you kind of have like an iPad app that you use for navigation, or did you yeah, mainly just yeah. use? We call it Sky Demon. <laughs> Sky Demon. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Is there a reason why it's called Demon? <laughs> I, I really don't know, but you know what? It helps us through a lot. So it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know because ForeFlight's huge in the States. Like everyone uses ForeFlight and that's about it. And I know they're trying to make their move into Europe. I just didn't know if they kind of had any headway going on there in the flight schools. Well, yeah, we do have SkyDean. So we're going to work harder to beat what we have. <laughs> I'll tell them that. <laughs> good luck. No, did you, it was that kind of a, uh, Fourth flight here is just like amazing. It's revolutionized how people learn. Is it the sky demon the same? Like taxi diagrams on it. You have your approach plates if you're doing instruments or, and you have kind of like your navigational charts on there. Um, so I, I actually did 15 hours without an iPad on the plane. But then um, I think after 15 hours, I started having the iPad and sky demon and oh wow. It makes life so much easier, especially when I'm up by myself. Like, even though it's like I am meant to be using my chart and like put on like checkpoints and calculate the time, but having this kind of technology in front of you, like even on small Cessna, because like obviously I'm not, I don't fly like jet planes. I, I just have, I just fly a basic Cessna, which is like, uh, like a kind of old plane. So having this kind of technology in it where I can actually see where I am, see my tracking, see like where I'm supposed to be heading, um, the chart of like where I am. It, it also like includes like all the frequencies and when I should change and if I'm going to bust any airspace. Honestly, it's a lifesaver. <laughs> Absolutely. I did my private pilot training without an iPad and then my instrument training with an iPad. And I was like, how did I ever do this like why did i even try it's like the ipad is amazing but it's also good to know how to fly without that stuff like how to, dead, exactly, how to be yeah. a dead reckoning or pilotage and track vors without staring at your ipad and whatever it may be but it's just i never want to go back if there's like a gps no, yeah. outage or all the ipads went away it's like oh, i'll just stay on the ground today until this gets fixed thank you yeah my skills test i have to do it without an ipad so yeah, like I obviously, so like I had to learn without an iPad because for my skills test, I had to just use a chart. I had to look on the ground, and I had to just you know be clever somehow and use my kind of sense and be like, this town looks like a finger, so I'm guessing it's the same one that we have on the chart. So, like, well, if, I, if I mess anything up, just know that I normally fly with the iPad, and I don't ever mess it up with that. I promise. Yeah, the iPad is good. The iPad is a lifesaver. It even gives you, like, it even says on my headset caution, there is, like, a plane nine o'clock or something like that, 500 feet above or under. I was like, wow, honestly, it is so good. That's, yeah, that is amazing what technology can do. Um, talk a little bit about, I guess here's a better way to phrase it. What's your favorite aviation memory? Is it the first time you flew solo? Uh, maybe after the 12 to 10 hours that it took you to get to put everything together? Or was it the day you passed your your skills check? Um, the not to make myself sound like a bad pilot, but my first solo, I did bounce while landing because my landing was a bit too fast. Um, and uh, <laughs> I remember I got to a point where I was just like, you know what, I'm ready to just die after this bounce. Like, you know, just just take me with you, just crash. You know, I don't wanna come outside of this plane with all the embarrassment and you know actually bouncing my instructor was so embarrassed but we moved past this and I actually do do some good landings and one like in my skills test um the uh, the examiner said that I know how to flare very perfectly and nicely so um so it's not like <laughs> I do some bad landings but um I'd say like that was just like a funny moment that I'd never forget. 
because in my head, I was just like, yeah, this kind of moment I'm never going to forget. And one day when I'm going to be a commercial pilot or I don't know, get an award for the best landing ever, I'm going to tell them that my first landing by myself was kind of really ugly. Um, Did you do another uh, one after that? Because here we have to have three landings or we do three solo landings. Did you do two more or was that the last yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did two more. <laughs> How were the other two? Were they better or were they the yes, same? They, yeah, no, they were better. They were much better. It was the only time that I found down ever, but... Um, yeah, they, they were better, but it still was a funny memory. It was my first ever circuit solo, and that's what happened. So, um, <laughs> not so great. But um, uh, I don't know. I guess like passing my skills test was also like a like a memory that I'm never gonna forget because you know it, I moved from being a pilot to being a license holder. You know, and like a lot of people like. You know, when you start flying, it's you do say that you're a pilot. Like when I started flying, I do say I do I did call myself a pilot. But then, you know, being called a license holder is actually more poshing out there. And I think passing my skills test is what made me say, like, yeah, I'm not, I have a license. I am actually a pilot. And I would say it with pride and like, yeah, I did I did actually pass. My skills test was actually nice and fun. Like regardless from that <laughs> horrible, horrible thought that I had. Um but I did, I did uh, like enjoy my skills test, and um, we were going over like an ATZ, and it was like a military controlled zone. And uh, I remember they were supposed to be working, but the like the people they were not answering any calls, and we had to cross the zone for my test. And um, and they would just not answer. And I remember like my examiner thought that our radio was like broken or something until like another heli called for the zone and they did not answer them either and then like i felt like i was such a good pilot and i just spoke to the heli i was like yeah they're not answering i i don't think my uh, examiner liked that i talked to the heli over the frequency but he was fine i mean you're gonna help <laughs> so, out every once in a while i think that's good <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah because like it's a bit stressful when you're just waiting for them um to answer um oh actually i just remembered a memorable thing. It's a funny story. It's not really funny, but I was going to do my qualifying cross country, and uh, the weather was not great because obviously I live in the UK, so the weather is never great, and it's always cloudy and raining. And um, so I remember I was just like, you know what, I'm, I just want to get it over and done with. And uh, like my instructor had signed me off, and he said it is doable. You might find like that cloud base is a bit low, but you can still do it. And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, I took off and it was like a really long morning. I even had to have like a sandbag in my plane to fix up the, you know, kind of like center of gravity and center of pressure kind of thing. Because I had such a light aircraft with a lot of fuel and then it was a long journey. Um, and I set up my GoPro and I was like so ready to get it over and done with. And I go my first leg and the cloud base was about 1,500 feet which was very, very low. Like I was supposed to be flying 2,500 feet. And um, it started like getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember I was like on the radio to the ATC and I was telling them like it's my solo cross country and stuff. So just so they, they know and they'd be more, you know, have more sympathy for you and more help. And, um, and uh, I remember I changed to the second frequency and they did not answer me. And um, the weather kept getting worse and worse. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it and finish it. And I remember, like, I remember I was so proud of myself to make the decision and actually go back and not rush doing my cross country. And uh, I came back and I called the frequency again that I was on. And they were like, sorry, like, you were meant to, like, what happened to the change of your route? And it was so weird having to do a U-turn on a plane as well. Like, it's not something that you just do and um and they were like uh i thought like you were going to coventry and i said like yeah i'm changing like change of my like route i'm going back to london um and they were like sorry is there like a reason for this um change and i remember i was so nervous and stressed i just said i was just like um i was not feeling it it's just not great out there <laughs> i just don't like it <laughs> And they did have a laugh on the on the radio, but I was just like, <laughs> I was I was a bit nervous, you know. It was I was going out solo, and I like, and I was actually like making decisions that I did not know other people did. So 
I felt like I was a bit winging it and I was like not sure whether it was like the right decision or not. But when I landed, I did think that it was the right decision. And like my, my instructor spoke to me over the radio. He was like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I just don't feel like I am confident enough to carry on in this weather. Like, I, I don't think my visibility is great. So I'm just going to go back. And yeah, I went back and I landed and everyone at the flying school, they were like so proud of me. And I was like, oh, thanks. Absolutely. Um, That's, it's very hard to make that decision, especially when you're so new and you don't know. And someone already told you, hey, the weather's going to be okay, but you can still do it. So you kind of have that, that idea that everyone else can do it, so I can do it. And one of the worst parts in making a decision is the time period that you spend contemplating making that decision. Because if you wait too long, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're not going to want to be in and you might not be able to get yourself out of. So the ability to be able to make that decision with as little time as you have is, is remarkable. And actually, I'd be very proud of that. That's that's one of the hardest things to do is make a decision like that. It is. It's like, it's a very, like, there is a very fine line b- between being confident and looking out for your safety at the same time, uh, especially like with being a pilot, because some like it's not only your life you're risking, you're risking other people's life. Um, obviously, I was by myself at that, like doing my solo, but still, it was like a big responsibility. And I was just like, no, I have to, I have to understand that I don't want to rush it, but I want to do my qualifying cross country and enjoy it. I don't want to be in such a situation, like you said, I can't get myself out of. And uh, yeah, I just chose the safe route and I went back. That's the best thing you can do. Safety is key. You've got a good head on your shoulders. You're going to make good out of this career. That's for sure. Um, what? So you mentioned that you want to be a commercial pilot, like airline pilot, uh, corporate pilot. Uh, just what is your ultimate goal? Uh, I do want to be a commercial pilot. I like an airline pilot, sorry. Um, I think that is like what like I have in mind so far. But like at the same time, that's not what I'm worried about. Like, I'm more worried about how am I going to get there first? Because like, as I said, I have to graduate from my like university course first. I have to like get the money. I have to go to a different country and like get all the hours and stuff. Um, Like, I don't want to be an airline pilot just to, you know, just to feel the rush for a bit. Like, I'm I'm not planning that. It's not going to be the final destination. But, um, like that's what I have in mind. I think for now is to be an airline pilot. So you want to go to the states to to build your time when you can? Yes, yes. I heard that people do it in Florida. I mean, that's what British people do. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've had a couple. I've had Pilot Maria on here. I think I can't remember if she went. I talked with Captain Joe if you follow him on Instagram, and he did his in Florida, and a couple of other um, European pilots. They would go out to Arizona, Florida, I believe. Um, I think some even go out to California and they, they love it and just go fly and get to travel and kind of experience different different airspaces. Because obviously the way the United States does it is very different than what the UK does. So it's a great experience. You get to fly to some cool airports and do some cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And fly along the coast as well in a good weather. Yeah, that is um, nice. I can't wait to do that. See the sun every once in a while, that's for sure. It's nice to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best parts yeah. of being a pilot. Yeah, yeah, right. Like it feels like I feel some kind of some different kind of tan when I'm up in the air and I come down and I'll be like, oh, look at this red lines on my face. I feel so good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm I'm excited for you. Though. I think your your aviation journey is going to be good. I know. I guess one question to ask before we kind of change subjects a little bit is what is your outlook being kind of a newly minted private pilot or whatever the equivalent is you would call it over there? I'm pretty sure you're still called a private pilot, right? I am a private pilot. Okay, yeah. perfect. Just making sure it's the same. I haven't <laughs> talked to a European pilot in a while. <laughs> I need to freshen up. But um, what's your, your outlook like? Like how are you staying kind of positive, happy when you're seeing people get furloughed, losing their jobs? And I'm sure there's some people telling you maybe now is not the best time to get in aviation, but you seem to still have that want to do it or you still have that love for it. What are you doing? What are you telling yourself? Kind of what are you what are you mentally doing to stay positive about this career? Um it is very hard to stay positive because actually I was supposed to start an internship with Airbus this year. I was supposed to start in July. But it got cancelled because of Corona, and yeah, it did not make stuff easier. But I just believe that right now, whatever we're going through is temporary, and it's going to change and it's going to improve because you just got to believe in 
science and people and doctors and people like being wary about the virus and how we can stop it from spreading as much and you know and uh, at some point um it is it is very hard to get yeah like you said to get into aviation and become a pilot such a hard time like every like every person that i told like oh i just got my license they'd be like well it's not the greatest time to have a license and i was like (laughs) don't rob my joy people come on (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you might say that, but wait until I take you up on a plane and you tell me how this is not something you'd want more of. Like, um, yeah, I, I I felt, you know, flying sick when I was in lockdown. And every now and then I'd be like, oh my God, flying is so good. I can't wait until I do more. Um, and like, I, I don't know. I just tell myself that it's going to change. Just stay hopeful and understand that it's a process that takes time. There is no need to rush anything. And, you know, this time I'm just gaining experience of flying by myself, of like flying, of limiting my like flights and stuff. I was supposed to do um, a qualifying cross country, um, sorry, uh, a cross channel um, qualifier. So because like I can fly in the UK, obviously, but if I wanted to go to Europe, like there was a big gap. It's not a big gap, but there was like a gap of flying over the sea. And there was like a check that you have to do in order to be qual- to be able to fly to Europe next. Um, and when I was about to do that lockdown, uh, France went into lockdown. And I was just like, oh, okay. And my flight got cancelled. And my, my instructors were like, well, we don't really fancy going to France and self-isolate for 14 days and then come back to the UK and self-isolate for another 14 days. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, so it is, it is really, really, really slow. But at this point, I have a license, so there is no rush. Like, I'm going to get there when I'm going to get there. It, it, it's still, it may be a long while, but it's fine. I've got time. Good. I, lo- I like your outlook. <laughs> yeah, and patience. Uh, patience is good, especially in this career. Like I said, it seems every 10 years, give or take a, a year or two, something pops up and can make the career a little bit harder than you would want it to be. But this does seem to bounce back. It has bounced back in the past. So there's no telling why it shouldn't bounce back this time. But yeah, I think that's an important mindset to have. And one that even pilots that are that are in situations of possibly getting furloughed is to remember kind of what they felt when they're a private pilot. Remember their, fur, their feeling of their first solo, how happy they were or embarrassed and then happy. But just remember how great of a feeling it is to, to fly and that, that true love of why you're doing it. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up a little bit is kind of just like how you got to where you are today. So you are from Syria, right? Yes. Gotcha. And how, when did you move to the UK? Um, so I, uh, it was five years ago. I was 16 when I moved to the UK. Was that, uh, by choice or was it, did you have to go for the, cause of the war or what was the, the kind of reasoning behind the move? So basically my dad was already in the UK. My dad arrived in the UK a year before us and, um, he, he moved to the UK because of the war. Um, we did not lose our house or anything back in Syria, but it was not safe to carry on living there and just have a normal life. I mean, like our education was being affected or normal life, like normal life requirements of like water, gas, um, electricity were not available um, all the time. So um, yeah, it was not the greatest situation. There was no future out of it. And my parents really cared about our education and our future and how we turn up you know like in the end um and I was like the eldest and my education was like the most affected and um yeah that's when my dad like made the decision to move like to the UK and um he did he he then applied for a family reunion visa for us um the UK has got like a, a scheme to like reunite refugees he got like his refugee status because like of the war and stuff in the UK and um that's how we were able like to come uh, we we came on a plane my first trip ever on a plane was my trip to the uk um so you know i feel like i was destined <laughs> but um yeah so so yeah uh when we left it's not like uh, yeah, i mean i mean yeah i guess we you could say that we had to leave it was because of the war but like I did manage to say my goodbyes to pack my bags and get my teddy bears with me, um, which I do bring some of them with me to my flights every now and then. Um, 
not because of anything, but I just would like to remind my younger self that everything is possible. Like I take one of my small teddy bears or my, like my uncle's watch or anything from Syria that reminds me who I am and that when I'm up in the sky, I have control and, you know, it kind of like implies that I also have control of my life. Um, I did like go a lot through, like through a lot of struggles coming to the UK, like learning English and adapting to like life in the UK, getting, you know, getting into school and everything. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's how it happened. In English the is great, by the way, I mean, like I would have <laughs> never, you. like I would have guessed that you would have moved when you're three because it's, it's really, really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm guessing that was something it, it's gotta be so difficult. Like moving from, from your family or not from your family, from, from friends, from a different culture, coming up to a whole new place and you have to learn the language and it's gotta be hard. So, I mean, I commend you for, for kind of just sticking with it and getting to where you are now. It, it's, it's awesome. Thank you very much. Do thank you, think, you. I really appreciate it. Oh no, no problem. Do you think it would have been possible for you or do you think the dream would have ever popped up of you becoming a pilot if you would have stayed in Syria? Um, no, if I was still in Syria, I don't think I would have thought about becoming a pilot. Like, I don't know. It was just it, like I had my life planned kind of thing. And there was no reason for me to change the reason I like, I'd say that the reason of why I changed from political science to engineering, to aviation, to becoming a pilot is my move to the UK. And not only that is also, um, so like when I started going to schools and telling them about my ambitions, like in the future and stuff, they would tell me that I'd not be able to do it or like, it's too hard for me or, um, with my English, just never going to be possible kind of thing. And that what made me change initially to engineering because it was like, I was, I was good in science and maths and physics. And I guess you don't like, you do obviously need English for it, but like, you, like you don't really need a language to, you know, know science or to know maths kind of thing. Your you work's not based on your communication. It's more based on math and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's more based on like equations and knowledge that you have that you can just apply. Um, so yeah, so that's why I chose engineering. But then from that, like I found that I actually like it and I actually enjoy it. And like, and then like it, the whole um, kind of aviation came to me like in a way that it was possible for me to do it with whatever I was like studying in college and um and yeah it all became possible to me so like if it was not for my move I don't think I would have done that in Syria I don't even know pilots that became pilots in Syria so what do you think you'd be doing if you would have stayed in Syria um (laughs) I would I would probably just be stuck in university not having a life I'd say I mean like obviously I I would not know because the situation is only getting worse and worse like in terms of the civil war that was happening there I have friends and family there and I I am like in in touch with them like frequently so like I do get a glimpse of their lives but I just feel that I'm really thankful for like the kind of change that I went through um because like it opened so many doors for me like now i am a public speaker for unhcr um i've i've been around like in europe like like spreading a message of hope about the importance of education for like uh refugees for young people about also like the effects of stereotyping typing like even when i want like even when I just said I wanted to do aviation engineering or I wanted to become a pilot, I still like got faced with many people thinking that I shouldn't do it because I'm a female or because I'm from Syria or because of my religion. Um, so like, you know, this whole chapter of my life would not have been created. I would say if I was not here, if I was in Syria, I'd probably just, I mean, I don't know. I would still be have my normal life. I would not have changed anything and I would be a different person. Um, but yeah, I think I'm glad that this change happened. Yeah. It's all for the best. I'm glad it did too. Uh, you mentioned that you're, you're a public speaker and you talk about stereotypes and you talk about mm-hmm. kind of refugees. Um, mm-hmm. What was the hardest thing? I guess you, you're, what you're talking about is probably your own personal experiences and how you yeah. want to see that change and how you don't want that possibly to happen to someone else. 
What was mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, first, what would have been the hardest thing for you to go through? Was it just the language barrier, not being able to communicate with people? Was it people's preconceived notions of where you came from and your religion? What would you say was the hardest part? I mean, the hardest was being 16 and getting told that because of my nationality, I cannot be in a school. Um, that was like, I was not obviously told that word for word, but people, I would tell, like, I, I went to schools and I told them I have my equivalent to GCSEs. I am ready to work hard and, you know, do whatever you want me to do. I am not fussy. If you want to put me like two years or one year back, then I'd not mind. But then they would just look me in the eye and be like, where are you from? I would say Syria. And I'd be like, you have to go to your council and they will sort you out, you know, to your borough council, mm-hmm. like to the state council. Uh, and like, you know, it's, I, I was a child, like, and I was just, I just wanted to have a normal life. I remember like, I, like, even though that my English was not great, but I still had the kind of, I translated like one of the words, like the sentences that I used to translate was like, oh, what video games do you play? Or should we go out this day? Like, I was very keen to, ca- to kind of go back to normal. But then I was faced with all those challenges that, made normal seem impossible for me um so that was one thing like i I just i just knew that without education i like there would be no you know education was my future and how i was going to define myself and show people who we really are as syrians and as women as well um and that was just taken away from me for no reason or whatsoever or just because i'm syrian um so that was what I would say was like the hardest, as well as people, whenever they'd learn that I'm Syrian, they would ask me about the dangerous, adventurous journey that I had to get to the UK. And I would kind of disappoint them when I'd say, oh, I came by plane and I had a visa and I did not come illegally, all this stuff. Um, so, you know, you'd see like, oh, so this is actually a thing and stuff. And I was like, yeah. And like, they would ask me about how it was in a camp and stuff. And I understand that this is what the media shows. And I understand this is like what the like big, I guess, percentage of people, they just show that they are in camps and stuff. But I kind of like, just tell them that I just, I kind of just, came from my home you know I, I packed my stuff and I came and it was kind of like this kind of straightforward um, so I'd say these were like the kind of hard things um, for me that I had to challenge because English, learning English was on me, it was on my determination to achieve and like um, I, like I decided I wanted to be a public speaker even though that my English was not like it was it was not there i i barely just knew a few words and you know you don't be a public speaker in english when you don't have the language but i knew that if i challenged myself and put myself up for this challenge i'd actually do it and i'd make it happen and it did that's amazing because it's so difficult i mean obviously i i am an american i'm white like i don't speak from any experience of this but just from like seeing from a distance it's like when when society puts you in a box and labels you as something it is almost impossible to to get them to change their opinion and get them out of that box. And you are really exactly. able to, you are are doing that. You have done that. You you proved them wrong when they said you can't. You you got into the, the school that you wanted to get to do what you want to do. You're now going to, you're a public speaker in a language that wasn't very familiar to you a couple of years ago. Like it is possible to get out of that box, but it is so incredibly difficult. And I think that has it to is. do with the fact that there isn't any kind of no one. I mean, very few people have done it before them, or maybe there's not enough attention around the people that have done it. And now that you have done that, you have the ability to share your story. So I encourage you to keep sharing your story. I encourage you to continue to tell, uh, whether it's Syrian, whether it's whatever, whether it's just women in general, uh, it's, exactly, it's, it's yeah. possible. You can break the stereotype. You can, you can be, be normal, what, what their normal is, or you can be yourself and be your own normal and it's okay. And you're going to make it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I just say that I I came into this country and I just wanted to, to blend in. But like a year or two from that, I just I just stand out, and I like that. I like that I stand out, and I like that I I 
put a spotlight in, on problems that people did not know that I existed. Like back when I first started as a public speaker, I'd go to like the areas that are like full of like that they're not diverse and I would tell them my story because then that's like those are those are the people that you would want to share your story with the people that they're actually going to listen to you and understand and be more familiar with what with what is actually happening and give them solutions on how to help and you know helping is not actually like a big thing the smallest act of kindness can actually make a difference for me I I gained all my confidence when someone told me that my English sounded good and and that's all what I needed. That's when I was just like, yeah, I can be a public speaker then. And yes, I can get a place in school and be who I want to be. And like, I was 16 and I was devastated. Like, I would cry every day. My heart was just broken. And I don't think that it's fair for other people to feel the same way that I felt like for young people. I had my family with me. Some people don't have their family around them and they need that support and encouragement. And that's when I feel like I have the duty to, you know, like be there and show them and tell them that they can do it. And that actually we are the role models that we want to be. And we can we can move mountains if we want to, as long as we just believe in ourselves. I love it. I love everything you're saying. And I, I completely agree. Um, for, for someone like me, so someone or you're not even me, but someone where someone in a community, so say I'm the norm in the community or my culture is the norm in the community, to have a refugee coming in, to have someone that's different. What can what can we do to be more accepting? Uh, is it be more patient? Is it just like understand that there's differences and try to find a common link between the two of us? Like what is something that someone can do to accept someone into their community? Um, I'd say to ask them about their future, to ask them about what they're thinking, what are they dreaming of? Because there is always this kind of misconception about when you meet someone who like been through trauma or had like a big change in their life, we always ask them about my past. And I always got asked about my past and what I wanted to do and all this stuff. But, you know, sometimes I just want to be asked about my future. I want to be asked about the person who I am right now, about the person that I am today. and. I found like, you know, it, it, that lady, when she told me that my English is good and I can, she gave me like just the smallest advice. She said like, oh, if I read this book or if I listen to this or if I do that, that would improve my English as well. And that made a difference. Finding common ground is also very, is very helpful because it shows us that we are normal because sometimes we just come out as you know, as the word refugee, we don't come out as a human being. We don't come out as a normal person. Um, so, yeah, I guess in a community where you feel like you want to help, just like take them out with more people, make them feel that they're just normal people and that they can actually be part of the society. Because this is, I'd say, what we're most anxious about, like, you know, people never really listen to me. And if they just heard me, I would just want to tell them that I want to be part of this. I want to help. I'm not here to steal or to take or to be ungrateful. No, I am very thankful for the second chance, for the opportunity that I was given. And I actually want to give something back. Like when I was given the opportunity to volunteer, I did not even hesitate because I was just like, wow, I'm actually being included in, 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 like, you know, in this new community. I'm actually part of it. And that's when I felt like that I can actually achieve and shine and restore my confidence back. That's amazing. Yeah. I love how you brought up, ask about the future. It, it seems so simple to ask them about, hey, what do you want to do? What do you like? What do you want to be? What is your goals? It seems so simple to do that. But we, I mean, I have fallen to this too. Like you want to know the, the why, the, the what happened, the, the story behind. And maybe sometimes it stops after that. But if you show interest in what they want to do, they'd be like, all right, well, hey, I really like flying too. You want to, like, we can go to the airport together. We can, here's my flight instructor. You know, you can, you can kind of link into something that you can, you can both agree on. You can both have in common where if we just bring up the past, which there's a place and a time and place to talk about the past, but that's not necessarily going to create a link between you two, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
How do you think that, how is the, that going? Is there still a lot of work to be done? I mean, obviously there's a lot of work to be done. It's never going to be, be perfect with, with how the world is sometimes, but like, well, how has the progress been made? How is it being received and, and what's going on in the, in the community right now? I mean, I think, um, obviously there is like more work to be done, but I think we do have the advantage of social media. We do have the advantage of technology and connecting and having different apps and having different ways and different methods of communicating and connecting with other people. And this is, it's like a good, like it's, it's a thing with two sides. People can act very negatively to it or very positively to it. Like, you can take the advantage of it and spread kindness and spread all the good stuff and like the good memories, like, uh, I mean, the good story, sorry. And some people just take it in a negative way and spread their negativity and like their personal thoughts about, you know, just, just not good personal thoughts. Um, so it is a lot of hard work, social media and media, like in general do like, put a lot of pressure on a lot of people and do put like do create images like of certain things but I feel like it's always important for us to know that you know the it starts with a small simple act of kindness that is going to change a big like that would make a huge change and um you know it's like adding small drops of water into a big pocket and in the end, it is going to create the whole big picture. Um, n- nothing is easy. Making a change is not easy, but, if, but believing that it is going to happen is what actually makes it happen. Um, so, yeah. Since, since you got the, since you finished your skills check, got your private pilot license, uh, there's been some media attention. Obviously, you've been able to share your story some. Do you have, how has that been received? Has it just been all like, oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. Have you got a lot of, a lot of girls coming up to you or messaging you saying they want to be pilots or how has it been received so far? Yeah, actually it's been, it's been great. Like I, like I feel so good to see people around actually getting to know my story, not because it's my story, but, um, getting to know that there is actually like different people around the world trying to make change and that making change is possible i am getting a lot of positive comments like i i i never i never got like not a negative like i've never got a negative comment ever i remember like some i mean on facebook and instagram people are very lovely and linkedin they're all very lovely but i cannot lie twitter is for angry people so (laughs) you are so right (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 a very like you know i i just i just cancel my twitter experience because i just just we put it to the side but anywhere else people have been really really supportive and it really makes me really happy yeah but twitter is something else yeah. but everywhere else twitter is a wild place man I mean, <laughs> it's just like you gotta you gotta put the the big boy big girl pants on to go to twitter and it's, it's yeah crazy. yeah exactly <laughs> if you're like if you're going there you know that you're going for a battle so yeah. <laughs> be prepared <laughs> That is the truth. I've had the weirdest and worst interaction with people on Twitter. And it's like, I don't even, I just say like, I don't even know what I said. I was just said like one simple tweet and someone tears you down. It's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll stay off this I appreciate now. your time analyzing my simple tweet. Thanks. Jeez. Yeah, well, I do want to say that I am very encouraged to hear your story. When I saw the Instagram post, when Rico sent that to me, it really did make my day. Like I was out flying. It was a long day. And that made me really happy to see you succeeding in this career, succeeding in this path that you've chosen and what you call your second chance. Uh, I mean, like, it's just amazing to see you are absolutely killing it. And I hope that you keep killing it. And I look Thank forward you. to seeing Thank you, very much. you make the change that you want to make. I look forward to seeing you reach all the goals that you want to reach. And if there's anything that I can do, I know that I'm really far away, but like, I mean, we can. <laughs> social media makes, makes worlds much closer and we can it make does. a huge Thank difference. You. So let me know. Uh, I want to see more girls become pilots. I want to see more, more refugees feel comfortable where they live and in the community. And maybe aviation can be a link for them because like you said, you don't even yeah. know how people become pilots in Syria. So maybe that's yeah. something that we can do. We can, we can get more and more refugees from Syria, wherever you're a refugee and just show them aviation. And who knows? There's a lot of things that we can oh do. Oh my God, yes. We can make your dreams come true. Come yeah, fly right? with us. Absolutely. Such a good logo. I know, right? <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> but I, I really <laughs> appreciate you coming on and sharing your story 
story. I mean, you have a great story and you have earned every bit of it. Don't let anyone tell you differently. I mean, you made good decisions and what you've told me already. So you're going to be a great pilot and keep on killing it. I, I look Thank forward to, to seeing what happens. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect. I can't wait. I know, right? I do have one more section though, real quick. And then before I can let you go, it's just the rapid fire okay. section. So these are going to be just questions that are aviation centric. And you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Oh my God. I'm going to suck at this. But right. yeah, sure. Let's go. <laughs> what is your favorite airplane? So this can be a favorite big airliner, favorite kind of plane that you've flown or just a, a plane that you think looks cool uh, out sitting outside the flight school. Uh, my favorite plane is the, uh, what is it? 747? 747. That's a good one. It, it's the first plane that I flew. Like I, I once went to uh, British Airways headquarters and they made me uh, try the flight simulator of the 747. So yeah. That's awesome. I didn't get to do that. I want to do that. That'd be sweet. <laughs> what is <laughs> something, really cool. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, to buy the right pair of Ray-Bans oh, sunglasses and invest in a good GoPro are the number one thing I always had to have on me because I need sunglasses. Yeah. So I completely agree with you there. <laughs> Who's someone in the industry? It could be social media. Someone you look up to it could be someone you've read about in books or just a famous aviation person. Who's someone in the industry you'd like to meet most? I mean, I wanted to meet that, um, and sorry for my lack of knowledge, that first female that went around the world. I can't remember her Amelia name. Earhart? Yeah, I think that's her name, but she's dead, isn't she? Uh, yeah, but she did break a lot of stereotypes and she, she made history. So, Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about aviation? How it's got no limits. A good one. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Um, I mean, I haven't landed at many airports, but it's Cambridge. What's your least favorite airport that you've ever landed at? It's also Cambridge. <laughs> it's funny you how it works three out like frequencies. that, frequencies. Right? Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's long. What is, um, let's say either you're at an airport, you're flying, or maybe you flew somewhere and in the States we fly and we grab what's called a crew car and we go grab it and get lunch. I don't know if that's a thing over there too. What's kind of your favorite go-to airport food? It could either be in the terminal or it could be maybe just something you grab before you go fly or whatever, maybe what's like one go-to meal that you have. Um, I always have my one liter water bottle and an apple and rice cake. There you go. With milk chocolate. <laughs> Would you rather fly one very, very long flight or have multiple short flights? Multiple short flights. What's one thing you always have to have with you while you're flying? It could be Sky Demon. It could be your Ray-Bans, GoPro, watch, Apple Pencil. I don't know, whatever it may be. What would it be? Um, I mean, for safety, a chart. Yeah. <laughs> and for legality as well. <laughs> um, but I always have to have with me. Oh, I got that. Uh, I mean, I'd say my water bottle and a lip balm. Okay, that's good. I like it. And a pencil. And yes. a pencil. <laughs> would you rather fly over? I don't know how many mountains there are in the UK, but would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or a city? Um, there is no such a thing as a mountain in the UK, <laughs> so I don't know how how that would work. And flying over a beach is a bit tricky with all the waves and the different winds. Yeah. So I'd just say over a city. What is the biggest win of your career so far? Mm, that I've never interfered or busted in airspace. There you go. I'll knock on wood for you so that never happens. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the biggest regret of your career? If you have one, it's okay to not have one. What's the biggest regret? Uh, my biggest regret is that last week I went for a flight and I only went for 15 minutes, but the weather was so good. I should have went for a longer one. I like that. This one I always love to ask. I have a very, I don't know if you have one. I have a very strong opinion on this question, but what is, if you have one, the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Um, ugly plane. I swear I say that every time I see a plane, I'd be like, that's such an ugly plane. Um, 
It's the Airbus big plane that looks like a dolphin. Oh, the whale, the doll. Yeah, 380. Yeah. The big double decker. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an ugly plane. It is unfortunate looking to say the best. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, okay. well, you have successfully finished the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for coming Ooh, on. I really appreciate thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you spending time with me and talking about your story, sharing your story. And like I said, you're doing great stuff. Keep at it. And I hope you accomplish all your dreams and all your goals, whether it's flying or whether it is public speaking or political. You never know. You know, your English is really good. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you very much i'm really happy with my flying good. career right now so hang <laughs> on with that. i love it uh before you go let people know where they can follow you whether it's uh your favorite twitter instagram social media whatever it may be let them know where they can reach out and, and say hi um so you can always find me on my instagram which is gazal mia or yeah just just search my name but um yeah my handle is the same on twitter facebook and instagram but i use instagram um more regularly so yeah i think that's where you can find me and learn more about my story and that's it just see videos of me flying perfect thank you so much i appreciate your time like i said and uh yeah i hope you have a great day thank you very much have a good day yourself thanks for having me (laughs) anytime thank you AV Nation, that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as it was a lot of fun to talk with Maya. It's really good to hear the difference in, in aviation from the UK and the United States, kind of see how it's done, hear the different uh, verbiage, even though it's all kind of uh, similar, but hear the different verbiage of what they go through. And it's very exciting to see Maya progress in this career, and I can't wait to see where she takes it. So AV Nation, I hope you have a great day. And like I said earlier, please leave a review. Check out our Patreon swag. New black camo hats are on our website shoppilotpilot.com but i hope you all are having a great day and as always happy flying